Good morning, everybody. Uh, Dr. Rick Wallace dropping in on you. This is a little different. Uh, I'm doing the live stream here on Facebook. This is actually a topic that I would probably normally address on my YouTube channel that's aimed uh, specifically at the black community and deals with uh, a multitude of enigmatic, enigmatic issues that plague our community. Uh, but I believe that a large uh, portion of the target audience that I would like to reach will probably be on Facebook and not necessarily subscribe to my channel. While I am addressing black men in specific, I encourage uh, my sisters to uh, sit in and weigh in. Weigh in. All right, now, oh, there we go. Okay, just getting some things set up here. Uh, first of all, uh, a very short disclaimer uh, talk about here. Uh, I don't claim to know it all. Uh, I speak a great deal from experience, a great deal from study. Uh, I've done hours upon hours of research, but I've also lived a life. I'm 52 years old. Uh, I had an unbelievable mentor in my adopted father who was also uh, my great grandfather. I was reared by my uh, grandmother's parents. So just a unique experience. Uh, I don't claim to have it all figured out myself. I don't claim to be a perfect man. Uh, that's not why I'm here. I'm here uh, by way of encouragement and to bring a level of enlightenment to what we're facing. One of the things I do with uh, my program through the Odyssey Project uh, entitled uh, Black Men Lead is I try to help socialize and empower and prepare black men to literally step into the roles, the challenging roles of being a black man. If you know, if you look at the title, uh, it says black manhood. It doesn't just generalize it because there's a unique experience and existence in being a black man. And we have to take that into consideration when we're talking about what we are going to do, what we need to do and so forth. What I want to talk to you about are the responsibilities of a black man, but the realities that we need to be aware of. Uh, there's a great deal of a pressure being put on a lot of our young brothers to deliver things uh, that they're simply not prepared to deliver. And I'm talking materially. Uh, we train our young boys starting at four years old that you respect our women, that you love our women, that you protect our women. That's something you can start training them to do and to actually take action on. Open the doors for the ladies. Carry the bags and the boxes for the ladies. Uh, be out in front. Keep your lady inside of you. Keep any woman that you are with inside of you away from the activity and the harm. If you're riding on a bus, put them inside. If you're walking on the street, put them inside. You get on the curbside. Uh, if you're going upstairs, you walk behind them. If you're coming downstairs, you walk in front of them. You want to protect them from harm in every way possible. We teach them all of these things that are simply saying, whether it's your woman or your sister or your mother or your auntie or whoever it is, 
you want to provide a level of protection and you always want to be respectful. You never raise your hand to a woman under no circumstances. You are not there to bring her harm. You are there to ensure no harm comes to her. That's number one principle. But we also teach them that there are going to be some demands on them as they become men. Uh, there's going to be a responsibility to be a provider. You start out as a protector. That's your first step in manhood is being a protector. The second is you're going to have to learn how to be a provider. You're going to have to learn how to go out and work and make things happen. What I can tell you is the world, while the world demands and you see on social media, everybody bragging about how they man holding it down. Everybody's bragging about their women don't have to pay bills. They paying all the bills. And that's what's up. If you got that and you can do that, that's, that's awesome. But the reality says the numbers say that the vast majority of men in America, black men in America are being out earned by black women in America. So that idea of being a sole provider when you are purposely being underemployed and unemployed, and that's been an ongoing thing. And I'm not here making excuses. I'm saying what you're up against and how you got to look at it. Uh, one of the things I see that really bothers me, and that's this pressure by young black women to have a man to deliver to them all the things that they're seeing on social media and other people getting the material things, the nice big house, the nice car. We're talking in the 20s. And the truth of the matter is, when you look at even wealthy white men, if you find wealthy white men, that's, I mean, wealthy. I'm not talking about somebody making a six figure salary and struggling, but they look good. But they, 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 they are going check to check, too. See, there's this idea. You can look at somebody and tell where they're at. And the truth is you can't. There are some people out there that if you look at them, they look like they're uh, operating through meager means, but they are set. They're just living their lives in a place that they're comfortable with. And it doesn't matter what other people think. Then you got people, they got the car, they dress right, they got the house. But if, if they were to lose that job, it wouldn't take long before it got real ugly real fast. Not speaking down or talking down on anybody. I'm just simply saying that everything that looks like something my grandmother told me, everything that glitters, son, ain't gold. And everything that looks like something on the surface doesn't necessarily mean that. Mean that. So you've got to stop comparing. Young sisters, this whole thing about a man providing for you has merit. But here's the thing. There's a thing that is called uh, synergy. It's the sinking of energies. I've talked about this before. You have masculine energy predominantly coming from the male, feminine energy predominantly coming from the female, and they merge together and sink and create what's known as a synergy. The synergy is the merging of energies for the purpose of creating a force greater than the two individuals could have created on their own and accomplishing much more than they would have been able to do on their own. It's the sinking. It's the building. See, there are some things in your femininity that you have that can literally plug into him and actually empower him and, and, and get him. I'm not saying, men, you wait around on a woman to come give you permission to pursue your greatness. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that you can sit up and actually say things to him that validate him. Matter of fact, there are several ways that a woman validates her man. The first way is verbally. She tells him she believes in him. She tells him she trusts him. She tells him she knows he can. And this doesn't just come when he's got it working and everything smooth. It is very important and vital when he's finding a spot where he's struggling. Now, I'm not talking about the dude sitting on his uh, sitting on the sofa 
ain't getting up, ain't doing nothing every day with his hand in his pants, with the remote in his hand while you go out and you work every day. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the guy. He's up, he's driving, he's driven, he's trying hard, and it's try, he's trying to get it to come together. And you can look at him and tell when you look at it that he loves you. You can look at the way he moves and tries to take care of you. That This is how you tell, sisters, when you got a man who truly cares about you. The things that he has absolute control over are done. The things, the needs that you have that he has control over, he's protecting you. You don't ever feel in, in any time he's present unsafe. He's listening to you and addressing the things that you are saying, even when you're not asking him to. So in other words, you don't have to go to him and say, I need you to do this. You can just sit up and say, man, I wish, or man, I hate that this happened. And you look up the next day, it's done. That, that he's, he's showing you. But see, there are some things that are not just going to automatically fall in line for him. As a black man, he has an entire system working against him being financially fluent. Because when a black man is financially fluent and he has a love for a black woman, that means they're going to create kids that they're going to teach that black financial power to. And they're going to actually underwrite the dreams of those kids where those kids don't have to go out and get uh, student loans and, and beg for, for jobs. They're going to literally underwrite that. That's an entire family that's going to sprout out and spread out and touch lives and change the world. And that's what they cannot have. So as many men as they can uh, undercut, black men that they can, they will. And I'm not saying it's impossible. Black men, you can do it. You can stand up. You can fight. You can sit up. You're never at the mercy of anybody if you're breathing and you're willing to put in the work. But it's probably going to be harder than it is for the next man because the system is designed that way. But you're built for this. But sisters, what you got to be careful of is putting way too much pressure on him too soon. If he's covering you spiritually, you got somebody. If he's covering you emotionally, you've got somebody. If he's covering you physically, you're safe. You've got somebody. If he's busting his ass to cover you financially, don't, don't, don't dismiss him because of meager beginnings. Because if he's persistent, if he has a resilient mindset, he's going to get it with or without you. But he'll get it a lot faster with you, with you working with him instead of judging him, instead of tanning him down, instead of telling him, what somebody else is out there doing. Because see, like uh, my wife, uh, she, she posted something earlier that you will look up and see what people are doing and you don't see the backstory. So you got to be careful about the backstory. See, the backstory is, is what's hidden from view from most of the things that you see from other people you don't know, but you may admire or you may look at, you may even envy. See, you see the nice trips. You see the designer bags. You see the nice car. You see the gorgeous home. What you don't see is on the good side. Say it's all good. Say she's got a good man. That he didn't hit that stride at 25, 26, 27 years old. I mean, even white people who are under, I mean, underwritten and set up. White men ain't, uh, unless they are inheriting wealth, aren't there at 25, 26. They might find them a nice high five, low six-figure income but that ain't where it's at. That's that's not even getting started good. Where they hit it at is around 35, 40, 43, 44. And see, we are trained for uh, immediate gratification. We want everything now. We want it all now. And if it doesn't come now, this can't be it. So you drop it, you move on to the next thing. You keep dropping and moving on to the next thing. Let me tell you something, young brothers. Have an idea of who you are. 
understand the importance of what the, the role you play. See, you're being sent a message every day that says we don't need you because they empowered our women financially. They have better jobs than we do as a collective. Yeah, there are some of us out there doing some unbelievable stuff, but as a collective, they out earn us significantly. They are more educated as a collective. And they have been given the illusion, you know, because they can go out and they can buy the house. They don't need a man to do that for them. A lot of them, not, not all, but a lot of them can go out and buy the house. They can buy the car. All the things that women have been told in the 40s, 50s, and 60s they needed a man for. Black women, have, especially, are the most affluent right now, the most educated and most affluent, the ones that are moving most fluently, because that creates the idea I don't need a man. And so now you're being told constantly that you're, un, you're not needed. And what women don't understand, and women, you really need to hear me here, is men are different than you. See, you need to be wanted. You need to be loved. You need to know you. See, men, we would rather be needed than wanted. We would rather be respected than loved. That's not something I'm making up. That's something, uh, when I wrote my book, When Your House Is Not a Home, that was my fourth book. That was, wow, a lot of books ago, 17 books ago. Uh, but when I wrote it, that was a twelve. I've never researched and studied and asked more questions uh, about relationships than I uh, about uh, information in writing a book than I did with that one book. And the reason being is that book came out of a need for me to make sure that I was okay and I was ready and I was right because I had failed at marriage and I was preparing myself for the next marriage to be the last marriage. And so. I want to deal with conflict in the marriage, but I also want to deal with preparation for marriage. I want to know what it was about. And one of the things, studies I came across was a study of 4,000 men who were asked if they had a choice of knowing that they were loved, but being constantly maligned, marginalized, and disrespected, or being alone, isolated for the rest of their life with no one to disrespect them, what would they choose? 77% of the men said they would rather be alone and isolated than with someone they know loves them but doesn't know how to respect them. That's the power of respect. If you go to prison and you start asking people who are there for violent offenses why they're there, 78 to 83% of them are going to tell you something and it will equate to they disrespected me. Now, I'm not saying that it was a smart move or that they did the right thing. I'm telling you that men perceive respect and disrespect in a way that you have to understand. When you tell a man you don't need him, you shut him out whether you know it or not. He needs to be needed. He has to have a place because that's where he hangs his hat is in the place of need. Why do you need me? Maybe you need me because I can provide for you. Maybe you need me because you feel safe around me. Maybe you need me because I pour into you. I encourage you. I, I, I challenge you to take what you're doing to the next level. But you've got to find that. If you don't find that, if you let the world convince you you don't need him and you do need him, trust me, in so many different ways. There's a reason why we have 75,000 of our women missing. And I'm challenging black men to step up. I'm not sitting up saying we're where we need to be. No, we're not. We're not where we need to be in protecting our women and loving our children and protecting our elderly and being out front. We need to be better at that. But what we cannot do is allow erroneous expectations to tear us down. You know, you, you, you're you not this because we don't have this yet. You're not this because we don't have that yet. Young fellows, let me tell you something. Get yourself an idea of who you are. Become very clear in where you're going. 
Become intentful on what you're going to do so that you're not just talking about it, you are being about it, you're taking action, and you're consistently moving forward. Find you a woman who sees that in you, that has her own mind, can think, can add to the equation, has her own vision, her own dream, and you both come together and merge. You support her, she supports you, you keep each other lifted. You keep each other lifted. You support one another's visions and dreams and, and aspirations. And you understand and listen to what's going on. And, and, and there's, there's another level of this. The first level I've given you, you know, you can't look at something some other brothers are doing. You know, I'm 52. You can't look at what I'm doing and, and, and aspiring to do this year for my wife and have done since we've been married. You can't look at what I'm doing and say, man, that's what I got to do because I've been in the game 52 years. I, I, I know some avenues and some places and some things and going. What I can tell you and what my wife will tell you is there are still times I hit hard, hard, hard times as I try to build for my family, work for my family. There are still times I experience setbacks. The difference is I have a woman who knows me. She recognizes the totality of my value to her. She did not commodify me. While she expects me to be a provider, she sees everything else that I am as well. And let me tell you why that's important. When I'm in a moment, and we're dealing with an issue. And because we're pushing hard to set things up for our family and our kids, that a lot of time we're always on edge because we're not playing with this thing. We're building, we're going after it. And so when you're doing that, you're putting a lot on the table. If you get a hit, it can hurt because everything's on the table. You're taking it and you're moving and whatever. But what I can tell you is when that happens, she doesn't lose sight of everything else I am. She doesn't lose sight that I've become a father to her children. In, in distinctively, uh, in, uh, distinctively and indistinguishably uh, in the same manner that I love my kids. There's absolutely no difference. That's something that I was taught by my great-grandmother as a child. And I've always done that. In my, and, and so she looks at that. She looks at that I spend as much time with them as she does. That I pour into them as much as she does that I hold them together and that they are safe with me. She looks at the fact that I pour into her visions, that I contribute to the things she desires to do. She looks at all of those things, but you still can't judge you at 25, 26, 27, even 28 or 30, the way you, the, what I'm doing. This is uh, 30 plus years of adulthood in the work. And you cannot start doing that. And ladies, stop doing that to them. You should be focused on your relationship. Even some of you ladies in your 30s and your 40s, you, 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 you got to understand, focus on your relationship. Ask yourself when you move into a relationship, not what am I getting, but what am I bringing to the table? That's one of the biggest failures that I see in people coming together in marriage. When I was doing my research to write When Your House Is Not a Home, I came across a book written by a man by the name of Gary Thomas. The book is called Sacred Marriage. And there's a question on the front of the book that just totally set the tone for how I moved forward and everything else that I read, I studied, how I looked at marriage. It, say, it says, what if God's plan for marriage wasn't so much to make you happy as it was to make you holy? Now, let me explain the word holy in a way that you understand it. Holy is simply the building of character. It, holy means when holy was a word used to describe God. And what it means is God's standard is here and God always operates at his standard. Holiness is always operating at the standard that you have set. 
And so when it talks about holiness here, it's basically saying, what if God's purpose for marriage wasn't so much to make you happy as it was to strengthen your character and your integrity to live life at the level of the design you were designed to live it at? What if marriage was the first place that you were going to literally have to sacrifice? What if marriage was the first place that you were literally going to have to wake up every morning and put someone before yourself? Service. What if marriage was a place that you're going to have to have understanding and it wasn't always going to be about you? What if marriage was the place that taught you compromise? See, you got to walk into marriage understanding the dynamic. You got to walk into these relationships understanding that it's not solely about physical attraction. It's not solely about money. It's about how am I going to walk into this and how can I make my partner, my, my spouse's life better? Now, yes, you want to know how they're going to make your life better. But every time I'm talking to people who are talking about getting married, getting married, they're always talking about, and, and she does this dog. She can cook, dog. She fly, dog. She this. And, you know, even some of us, the dog in that bedroom, dog, all this stuff like this. And she over there, girl, he work here, girl, he do this, girl, 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 girl. And nobody's sitting up saying, how do I plug into them? How do I fit into them? What am I bringing to the table? What are my gifts and how does my gifts work into ensuring that they're going to be the best that they can be? Because if they truly love me and I help them become the best that they can be, that improves my situation. You're wanting somebody to be the best for you, but how much are you contributing to them being the best? We want to walk into a ready-made situation and don't look at the demand to, to build, to grow. It's about building together. This is what I can tell you, and people who have been here will understand what I'm talking about. Women, when you walk into a situation that a man has already built, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not telling you that it's an automatic no, but I'm telling you, when you walk into a situation and a man already has it all together, there's nothing left to really build on. It's going to get better because it's already built and it's growing, but you don't have anything that you can contribute to it because he's just there. You're walking in on something some other woman helped build. Help build. You're walking in on someone else's work. It's hard inheriting that because while they may no longer be together, sometimes they, she may have passed on. Other times they may have just grown apart. But with, walking into that, she, if he's there, she was a beast. And you're walking into it. You better make sure you got something to bring to the table. You better make sure when you walk into something, what you're normally going to walk into is something somewhere, someone's right along where you are. And y'all have aspirations to build above and beyond that. And then you get together and you pour into one another. You, you, you hold one another up. You prop one another up because, see, there are going to be some good days, some bad days, some setbacks, some poor moments. And it's going to be your responsibility to prop one another up, to hold one another up, to love on one another, to give each other room to make mistakes and grow. Men, here's another thing. When you make a mistake, acknowledge that you made a mistake. Something that I remember about my parents who played a major role, which were my, actually my great-grandparents, but my parents, who played a great role in shaping how I see marriage in many ways. And I've talked to both of them as a couple, and I've talked to both of them individually about how they viewed one another and how they loved them. And my grandfather had a second grade education. He was born in 1909 and the son of a former slave and sharecropper. And he had to leave school in the second grade to go out and actually get in the fields to help his father and family uh, earn a living so that they could eat. And my grandmother had a, an 11th grade education. 
Uh, but she had to drop out and actually leave because her uh, biological mama died when she was 12. She was adopted by another woman who died when she was 17. And so she was then left with nobody to look after. She had to leave her sister behind, go to the city, which is Houston, start a life for herself, send for her sister, raise her sister and her sister's kids and all this stuff that just made her this unbelievably strong and loving woman. It's, it's amazing. And the thing is, she had all of that. And he came in with, but he came in with a hard work ethic and he could learn anything. He could do anything. He built the garage. I mean, and it looked, it was like, it was nice. He could change anything and do anything on a car. He could do anything in the house, the drywalling, the plumbing, the electric. And he would teach me that. That was a part of his parenting is teach me that. And, you know, I can still use my hands, even though now I don't got lazy because I can pay people to do a lot of what, you know, I don't feel like doing every now and then just to sit up and feel that manhood rush through you about being held. I mean, it's something about being handy with your hands. That's that, that, that inspires your manhood. I, I, I don't want to get into that. But anyway, I talked to him and something my grandmother told me was powerful. She was more educated. She could read. He couldn't. And one day they were doing the bills. I'm going to make this short as, short as I can, but I want you to understand something. They were doing the bills and she would, they do it. They did them the same day every month and they paid everything at one time. And he's telling her this. And it was this one month. Normally they always had a surplus. Something went on. I can't remember what it was. So I was like nine years old at the time and something happened and it was time what something was going to be paid and something wasn't going to be paid. My grandmother had one uh, theory my grandfather had another theory, and my grandfather said, no, we're going to pay this. My grandfather didn't do a whole lot of beating on his chest, I'm the man of the house, what I say goes type things. Normally, my grandmother ran the house, but when my grandfather made a decision, the decision was solid, and it was held to. He was definitely the head and the leader. He was not the, the person who ran the house, but he was the one when that tough decision had to be made. He had it made on it. So I, I so she, he sits up and says, no, this is what we're going to do. And she did it, but you can look at her and tell it was really worrying her that she was concerned about how it would turn out. But anyway, she did it. They did the bills later on. She's in the kitchen. She's just cooked. She's cleaning up. And I walk in and I ask and I say, Mom, I was listening because they used to let me sit in and watch them do that. That was a part of my training. I would sit in and watch them do that. And I said, I saw that. And I, I think that you were right. But, you know, he can't read. Why don't you just tell him you did it and go on and do what you think you should do to be on the safe side? She said, he's my husband. He's my man. He's my leader. And I trust him. And I don't trust him because he's always right. I trust him because when he's wrong, he's going to admit he's wrong and he's going to fix it. That's all I can ask of a man, son. And so when he says, when he makes a stand and he rarely does, I, I, I give in to it. Why? Because even if he's wrong, he's going to come back, admit he's wrong. And then he's going to fix it. No qualms, no, uh, no fault, uh, uh, no, no throwing a fault, a blame, uh, anything. He's going to own it. He's going to own what was wrong. And then I talked to him. And he said, up and it was real simple. As the man, you got to be able to live up to your role. You want to claim to be the head. You got to take the responsibility. And I said, well, why is it when you do take these stances and you won't back off of them? He says, because as the head, no matter who's actually making the decisions, I'm going to get the blame. So if I'm going to get the blame, I'm going to make the decision. See, when it's a man in the house and things are going wrong, people are looking at the man. 
Well, if I'm going to be the one they're looking at, I'm going to be the one that's making the choices, good or bad, and I'll work my way through it. But I'm not going to sit up, have my house being run by someone else while I'm taking the blame for it. And I said, okay. He says, you got, and he says, there's good and bad with that because you're not going to always make the right choice. You're not going to always be in the right position. But what you have to do is be in a situation and position to where you are willing to admit when you're wrong. Don't get so hardy, boy. That's what he would tell me. Don't get so hardy, boy, that you can't say you're wrong, that you can't admit it. There's no dishonor in admitting you made a mistake. But there's a great deal of dishonor in trying to cover the mistake by blaming somebody else. Own your mess and clean it up. So what am I getting at? I'm saying that it comes with an understanding of roles. It comes with an understanding of what's necessary. But you develop into that. My grandfather, by the time I came along, was already 58 years old. He was 58 years in the game when I got here on this earth. So his wisdom was far beyond anything that I could sit up and imagine. He was far along in the game than I am now when I got here. So that, that, that tells you had a lot. He came up in a time where it wasn't even safe being a black man in the South. He navigated that and became successful. They owned their own house. They got new cars every now and then. I often joke with people about the fact, I said, we weren't rich, but we were probably the richest poor people in our neighborhood. You know, lights never got turned off. Groceries always in the refrigerator and an entire deep freezer full of food and and, and washer and dryer, which was huge because nobody had, not everybody had washer and dryers back when I was coming up. Uh, I was born in the uh, late 60s and, you know, grew up in the 70s. So my thing is, there's so much that you have to understand. Yes, you want to be this person that can give your wife everything, but that's a process. Every now and then there are, there's going to be a few of us that are going to come out and immediately walk into a life where you can provide. You know, you're an athlete or you get off into some form of entertainment, something that brings big money early in life. Most of the time, you got to build that. Or if we start doing things right, we'll be passing on businesses to our children. And so they'll come out into adulthood running a company, even if it's their dads or their moms or their parents or whatever. And they won't have to go out and beg somebody for a job. They won't have to go out and trust somebody to give them an opportunity to be able to take care of their family. But what you cannot do is allow yourself to be completely commodified to where all you are to a person is a paycheck. And they've done everything in their power to do that to us. They commodified us. And so if you can't show up and take care of this, you're not needed. I, I watch conversations over and over and over on social media about what about this if a man does this? What about this if a man does that? What about, and don't get me wrong, I see men out there coming at our sisters too with crazy stuff. I'm gonna address that, don't worry. But uh, there's a, there's just a lot of this going on now. You know, if you know, I shouldn't have to do this, I shouldn't have to do that. The thing is, get with somebody and build with somebody. You want you to have just as much invested in it as they do. We, well, see, we've got a world where you got a bunch of people tapping into somebody else where everything is theirs. Prime example, we just talked about athletes. Athletes, that's their athleticism. That's who they are. They're out there. They've got this, right? It's them. So you walk in and you get them. You put nothing into it. You weren't there when they were training. You weren't there when they were putting in uh, double and triple training sessions every year uh, to be ready to go to college and what they did uh, in, in college to be prepared to go pro. 
but now you're married to him. And you can now uh, leave and, and demand in many states to be taken care of and to get a piece of it, even though you didn't produce any of it. And that is actually creating this type of ripple effect where people are having a sense of entitlement. That's not what marriage is. Marriage is not latch on to a brother, make him take care of you, and then when you get tired of him, send him off and take half. That's an actual entitlement, Western, westernized entitlement process that doesn't look at the totality. What you should be doing is building together. And even if he is the primary provider or sole provider, how are you pouring into him so that he can? How are you pouring into him? Are you uh, an asset or a liability? Because there are some men that, and, and I've been in situations where I don't care what's happening. I'm going to get it done. I'm, I'm going to get it done. Now, you can make it harder for me because if I love you, I care about what's going on. And you can throw all kinds of things. You can create all this emotional chaos and all this stuff that will literally slow me down and weigh me down. But I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to stop. I'm never going to get to the point because you're not doing something. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. I just know it's harder when you're not working with me. So I want you working with me. I want us working together. I want to sit down and listen to what you're saying. I want to know your concerns so I can work on them. But I need you to know where I'm at and what I need from you. I want you to understand that the better I am, the, the less strain and stress I have on me, the more I'm going to be able to perform and produce so that you can have the things you want, the things you need, and we will build this together. It's so important. Uh, like I said, you've got to be a protector first. Everybody's all off into provider, but a man becomes a protector before he's even able to be a provider. It starts early in life. At the moment that testosterone levels start to rise and the difference in strength and size in the boy and the girl starts to become prevalent, he becomes a protector. 11, 12, 13 years old, he is needed to be a protector of those in his age group, females in his age group. He has to be a protector. That's his number one responsibility. So by the time he's an adult and he's looking for a mate, the protective part of him is just ingrained and inculcated into every cell of his body. He's naturally a protector. Sometimes Marion tells me, you are too protective. No, that's what I'm supposed to do. You're just so used to having to do it without protection that it feels weird. And we're in a good place now, but that was early on. Oh my God. Now I'm going to make sure. And like, you know, like I tell you, if you, if you dare touch that doorknob, we're going to have a problem. And that's it. You don't touch doors when I'm around. Anything larger than your purse, you don't lift it when I'm around. And I'm always going to be in a place to immediately receive any level of aggression that's coming towards you, whether it's a car, whether it's a person, whether I'm always in that space. I'm looking at who's walking up on us. I'm looking at everything because my job is to protect you. Same way with my babies. Then I got to get up every morning. That's why I'm up every morning, 4, 430 in the morning, because I'm grinding, because it's my job to produce a life for you that you can feel financially safe and secure. But in doing that, it's your job to know because you see me every day up at 4.30, to know that if it gets a little tight every now and then, it's not because I'm lax, it's not because I don't care, it's not because I'm not caring a word or concerned about what, where you're, what you're going through, it's because it's just a part of the process. I don't know anybody and I know some pretty successful people 
when it comes to success as far as careers, finance, and business, and all that. And I've seen all of them go through rough spots. So don't don't get caught up in that. My thing is this, and I'm going to leave you guys uh, uh, alone with this, and it's this. Ladies, you will learn to know, know when a man is truly invested in you. And I, I stated this earlier for those who are just tapping in. You will learn to know when when you'll have to you'll know when a man is truly invested in you because the things he's capable of doing, he will do. The things that he's not capable of doing, he will learn. Now, it, it depends on where he's at, how long it takes him. You're not looking for the immediate gratification. You're looking for the effort, the intent, and the potential to do it. You know, there's some guys that are just so messed up because they never healed from their own issues that even when they want to, they can't. You need to let them guys heal first. Because as long as they haven't healed, they will be trying to do the right thing, but they're conditioned psychologically, sociologically, and even genetically to not and so until they heal, until they regain confidence, until they regain a sense of identity and a sense of self, they can want to do right and just can't. You need to let them heal. And, and, and you can't do it because the healing can't be done inside the pressure of a relationship because there's no greater place of pressure than having to perform every day. Even on your job, you get a day or two off. When you're in a relationship and you're in marriage, you don't get a day off. You got to perform every day. That's pressure. So you can't come into that and heal because the pressure won't allow you. You got to get out of it. You got to depressurize um, and, and, and then get into a space where you can deal with the things that harm you. You got to go back and properly process it, properly deal with it. We got a lot of men that haven't healed trying to take on relationships and they're snapping and it's causing harm to women and children. Men, you gotta know when you need help and you gotta be willing to accept it. Women, you gotta be honest with yourself when you see him. Yes, he's handsome. Yes, he may be well-built, may even have a nice gig, may be very chivalrous, but you gotta check those signs and know when he's got some underlying issues that will not be supported in the relationship. And you gotta tell him, hey man, I'm really feeling you, but have you ever really noticed this? You know, and, 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 and if you need some help, you need to get your help. You got to heal, too. We got a bunch of broken people trying to build on a broken foundation. And anybody that knows anything about how homes or structures, that if the foundation is off, everything else is off. If your foundation cracks, you'll start to see the results in your ceilings, in your walls, in the way your doors open and shut. The house doesn't even function the way it used to because the foundation is cracked. Well, if you come into the situation with broken foundation, how are you going to build anything solid and lasting on it? Deal with the internal issues. Deal with what's on the inside. Deal with the things that we got. We got some people. You got to understand. We're talking about generation after generation of trauma. We're talking about multi-generational, the transition of multi-generational trauma. We're talking about epigenetics. We're talking about social learning theory. We're talking about all of this stuff passed down from generation to generation, and nobody's getting help. We have normalized dysfunction to the point 
that we don't see anything wrong with it. We've normalized abuse. We've normalized incest. We've normalized hostility and distance. We don't, the family doesn't even resemble a family anymore. We hold grudges in our family longer than we hold grudges against the enemies out here who mistreat us, underemploy us, mass incarcerate us, redline us, gentrify us, and everything else. We give them breaks much faster. We come out, they just shot down Johnny, and we on the darn gone television in a mic talking about we forgive them, but we got grudges we've been holding for 15 years because we haven't dealt with the trauma that was caused by it, and we cannot function that way. So before you even think about getting into a relationship, you got to be healed. You got to be whole. This isn't perfect. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about a whole person, a person that can stand on their own. That's not looking for someone to validate them. That's not looking for someone to tell them who they are, not looking for someone to tell them or give them approbation to be something. They are already that. They're looking for somebody that can come along, that they can plug into, that they can do greater things with because they're both whole, they're both solid. Stop putting unneeded pressure on one another. Start looking at each other. Start asking yourself before you walk into a relationship, what am I bringing to the table? How am I going to make their lives better? Yes, you need to see what they're bringing to the table. You need to know if they're compatible with you. But you also have to know, how am I, am I coming in empty? And how long do I expect this person, if I'm coming in empty, to be able to carry everything? Because the only thing I can do is take right now because I'm empty. There's nothing in me to give. I'm broken. I'm beat up. I'm hurt. And I need to heal. But I'm looking at this person and they can do so much for me. How long before you drain them to the point that they're now resentful? You may be better now, but they're not. You've got to understand these things. Finally, men. Wake up every day with an intent on being the best that you can possibly be. Wake up with an intent that you're going to grow, that you're going to become something that you are not yet. Wake up with an intent that absolutely nothing in this world is going to stop you from being the man you were designed to be. Search yourself. Ask yourself. Be honest. Get you some brothers who have meaningful and significant and like ambitions. And you develop an accountability circle where you hold one another accountable for performing, but also have a support system that you can be honest when you feel like you're not living up to your potential. See, it's nothing more disheartening to feel like you should be doing something that you're not doing and you can't talk it over with anybody. You can't run it by anybody. You can't do anything because, see, we've been told that we have to be perfect. Anytime we ask for help, it's a sign of weakness. Anytime we say we're hurting, it's a sign of weakness. Anytime that we are about to fold and we need somebody to talk to, that's a sign of weakness. We're not allowed to need help. And what that does is it puts us in a situation where we have this false sense a presentation of being okay. You know, hey man, how's it going? I'm good. Are you and then, and and then you, you you are you really good? No, the truth is you got three or four bills that's past due. You got problems at home. The wife is frustrated because the bills are past due. The kids are acting up and all this stuff is going on and you're holding it on your shoulder because you're supposed to be the leader. That is what I'm talking about. You've got to have some people you can plug into, some people that have like issues, they have same similar responsibilities. 
that can relate to you, that will hold you up, that will pour into you, that will give you some courage, that will hold you accountable. Somebody that'll tell you, hey, dog, you know that ain't right. I, I can't let you do that. That's what you have to have. You don't have that. You're going to have problems. You can't roll with this alone. You can't always be the person trying to be out front and not have some people to roll with you. So that's what I want to leave with you. Hopefully, um, I put something on your heart that we've got to stop letting social media feed us our expectations. A lot of what you're seeing is only on the surface. And then the other thing about it, I almost forgot something. There are a lot of ladies, when you decide to pay attention to some of these women that are talking about what they got and what they man bought them and look at where we at, girl, we here this month, we, we going to Belize and we, you know, we're here in Aruba and we, you know, and all that. And, you know, the designer purse is a different designer purse for each day and all this stuff like that. A lot, like I said, sometimes it's all le legit in the sense that it's a great marriage. He's a wonderful man, but I guarantee you he wasn't that way 10 years ago, 15 years ago when they first got together. That was a growing process. They're not going to tell you about the times that the lights were off. They're not going to tell you about the time they were wondering about what they were going to eat. They're not going to tell you it took some time to get there, that there is a lot working against us. I'm not saying that's going to be everybody's path. Sometimes the path isn't as tough, but they're not going to tell you. There's always a story behind what you're seeing. But what they definitely won't tell you is uh, they're not going to tell you how many times they caught him cheating because he felt because he's providing and he's a sole provider, he's providing a lifestyle, he can do what he wants to do. They're not gonna tell you how many times he got physical with him. With him. They're not gonna tell you, uh, you know, about doctor's visits they had to make because he brought something home. They're not gonna tell you all the things they are going through to hold on to that lifestyle they keep putting out there. And that's why they keep putting it out there so much is because it's all they have to maintain their sanity because there's such a big gap in other areas that are actually more important. You know, there's nothing wrong with every now and then, you know, being happy about something your man gave you. You know, my wife does it, but very rarely. Um, she's not really a materialistic person. Uh, every now and then she'll say something she wants and I'll, I'll do, do what I can to get it for. Um, and I'll leave it at that. But, uh, I, I have no problem doing it because of the depth at which she loves me. It's not about that. You know, it's so much more that we have going on. And again, it's not that it's perfect. It's not that we have everything figured out. We are a work in progress. It's understanding that we are a work in progress. It's giving each other the space to make mistakes. It's giving each other the space to have a moment. And, and still keep going. It's understanding that this is a lifetime commitment and you don't get to have moments that destroy the entire commitment, period. And, and then you work on that. But what I'm telling you is don't get caught up in presentations on social media and set the standards of what you think you should be having without having built it. On that note, I'm gonna get ready to get out of here. Um, Again, I'm, I'm going to ask those who believe in the work we're doing at the Odyssey Project, support the work we're doing. There's always going to be a paragraph in the description box that shows you how. On that note, I'm going to check out here. You guys have an unbelievable day, and I'll talk to you later.